Welcome to the Making Money in the Music Business podcast, where we share insightful views on a variety of topics in the music industry that can help you make more money from your music business. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. William E. Smith and Kenya McGuire Johnson. Hey, Kenya, we are back. We are back. And this is going to be fun because we're doing a part two part of a really two. special guest. Yes. Definitely. I think we've only done that maybe one other time where we did a, a part two. Um, so this is great. I love when we have guests that are worthy. <laughs> really, all our guests are worthy of part twos. We could do part threes, but I'm glad that we're able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to get more in depth on this, this one. But, uh, but yes. yeah, of course, I will have our music tip before we get started. And mm-hmm. uh, the tip for today is um, it would be a good idea, let me put it that way, it would be a good idea to at least take a lesson in another band member's instrument. Just one lesson, just so you can get a perspective of of what they're experiencing in your band, and you know just what is it, what are things from their from their vantage point, and and the, and also the reason for this is, uh, and this is, you can take in life in general, um, if you can see things from another person's perspective or angle, it helps you to communicate with them better, and you can oh, sort of yes. ha- have. Uh, know, know their challenges, know know what's on their mind, know, and that's just a, a general thing. So you know, if if you want to do that in general, don't not just take a lesson in an instrument, but uh, right. you know, just just do do something, especially for people that you might be having some difficulty with, <laughs> then and mm. and uh, in communication, uh, it'd be mm-hmm. good to do something in that 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 perspective, that angle. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I think this is when you are actually um, formally trained in music, there's very few. You, you're not when you're formally trained in, in any level of music, you're always forced to learn other things. Right. <laughs> you're forced to either take piano if you're a singer or take another instrument or whatever. You, you're, you're kind of forced in these other areas because your acumen for music has to be beyond the single craft that you do. Right. And I think a lot of times if you have not been more formally trained or have never really had actual instruction um, that, that was more formalized, then you may not understand the benefit of that. Yeah, um, yeah. So not to say that you got to go back to college and now go major in, you know, I'm not saying that at oh, all. Oh, yeah, there's, there's lessons that. all over the place, yeah. <laughs> Right, but do understand that there's a reason they do that. And so if you are not formally trained, what Will is saying is so critical. And, and not this, you know, I know a lot of singers will say, well, I'm going to go take piano lessons because I want to be able to, like, play. But it's more of, no, maybe just so that you can learn the language a bit more, like what that you're saying. Because, you know, yeah, it, it helps you. Yes, of course, it'll help you learn how to play. But what you're saying, I know for me, um, it's been so, you know, I singing definitely is my primary instrument, but mm-hmm. because yes, I took piano, um, as a kid, I took flute, you know, my father was a drummer. So I have these other, yeah, kind of perspectives 
to be able, and I can't always communicate it exactly like I want to, but I'm always in the door and they're there. We're able to kind of feed each other and it it does make you, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just going to make you better, better able to communicate. Yeah. And, and I also would, would, uh, totally encourage, uh, instrumentalists to take a singing lesson just mm-hmm. to see what that so what that vocalists stop have to deal with vocalists all the time <laughs> yes <laughs> jesus yep. oh my gosh thank you will <laughs> you're welcome no i'm so serious because i think singers get a bad rap so often i mean some of it we bring upon ourselves right. but i do think you know there's a lot that goes into your ability to sing um on psychological and and craft wise so yeah i mhm Yep. That's, a, that's another podcast episode. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Bandzoogle. From garage bands to Grammy winners, Bandzoogle powers the websites for thousands of musicians around the world. Their simple step-by-step system will get you online literally in minutes. You can choose from dozens of mobile-friendly templates, then customize your design and content in just a few clicks. Built for musicians by musicians, Bandzoogle has all of the features you need for your website and EPK already built in. This includes tools to sell music and merch commission-free right on your website, stream your music with flexible options for music downloads, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send professional newsletters, integrations to pull in content from your online services, including YouTube, Twitter, and SoundCloud, and live support from their musician-friendly team. Not one, not two, but seven days a week. Banzoogle plans start at just $8.29 per month. Yep, that's what I said, just $8.29 per month. And includes your own free custom domain name. Gotta love that. Go to Banzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days. And be sure to use our promo code, MAKINGMONEYPOD, to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. That's again, Making Money Pod to get 15% off the first year. All right. Yep. Well, uh, since uh, since this is my 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 homie, uh, we'll just uh, <laughs> I'll I'll bring her She's in. She's my homie too now. Well, She's my homie. Now now she no, is, you're gonna go yeah. ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're we're gonna bring uh, bring back a uh, good friend uh, Cynthia Biggs L to talk with us today. Hey, Cynthia. Hey, peace and love to you both. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> right back at you. Yes. Yes, it's so good to have you back and you know your your episode was really was really special on so many levels um that we did and I should have the number. Do you have the number of the episode will in front of you? Uh no, but I, I can I get have it in a the second. number. Ah, oh, we got to look it up because I want to make sure you know reference it. So if those who are listening right now who did not hear our part 1 with Cynthia um Definitely listen to that first or like pause this for a minute or listen to this, but no, you need to go back 109. to uh, episode, episode okay, 109. Episode 109. Excellent. Yeah. Episode 109. So, um, you know, it's, it'll be really, really, really good for you to, to listen to all of this in, in context, but we wanted to bring you back because we, we just want to pick your brain more <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and hear more about your experiences and, 
Um, Will, I don't know if you want to kind of start off with a well, question. Yeah, um, I know I take over. One of the things uh, that we didn't touch on last time, which I definitely wanted us to cover, was um, mm-hmm. your role as a producer and especially working with Teddy Pendergrass um, and also just, you know, what from from, from, a, from a woman's perspective, um, taking that role on, what, what are some of the things you had to deal with, but also, you know, what are some of the things that you really enjoyed? All right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back. I'm always uh, excited about sharing information uh, for people in the business uh, and up and coming. Uh, music professionals. And and so I wanted to thank you for that first. And that's a very good question uh, about my role as a producer. Now, during my era, uh, let's say during the 70s, Philadelphia International Records was basically uh, male dominated. And some would even go as far as to say that the industry was male dominated. And Mm -hmm. How I got to be a producer was because of Dexter. And I remember when it was time to uh, cut the TP album on Teddy back in 1979, uh, Gamble, Kenny Gamble, turned the project over to Dexter. And so we had the responsibility of providing all the songs and getting... uh, we decided that we would share the work loop and we brought in people like uh, Valerie Simpson and Nick Ashford and uh, Kostarfin, McFadden and Whitehead. And we even got a couple songs from people outside of the organization. Uh, And that's pretty much how we did things. We always tried to spread the work to, Mm. you know, that gave the product, the end product, a little more versatility and a greater mm-hmm. chance to appeal to more and wider audiences. Mm-hmm. Right. So the interesting thing about this was Cecil Womack had just moved to Philadelphia from California and that's Bobby Womack's brother. And uh, mm-hmm. he signed a, an exclusive contract with Philadelphia International. And he had a cassette of songs. And we sat down with Cecil and listened to those songs and among those songs was Love TKO. Mm. <laughs> and, and so we said, we have to get Teddy to sing this. And when Teddy heard the song, there was no, no problem. He agreed right wow. away to sing the song, yes. <laughs> and so Dexter, we picked a couple more Cecil songs uh, to cut too. Um, so when, before we went into production, Dexter said to me, okay, so, yeah. I'm going to let you co-produce one song with me. <laughs> I said, great. So he said, which one do you want to do? And then he told me which ones I couldn't do. And, and, and it's funny, he very rarely let me co-produce a song that we co-wrote. But okay. when he, okay, so when, I, when he asked me which one, I said, love TKM. Mm. And he looked at me and laughed. <laughs> I said, "What's?" I said, "What's so funny?" And he says, "Why did you pick that, Cindy? That's not the hit." I said, "It's wow. not. It's not." And he said, 
He said, no. I said, well, then what? I said, well, then what's the hit? And then he named another song. And then I said, mm, okay. But I still want to do Love TKO. Wow. So he said, okay. And I went in, <laughs> co-produced that with him. What was the hit? Oh, my God. Love TKO. Wow. <laughs> and another wow. thing that's to remember, he remembered that when, when we did the backgrounds, it was him. Teddy and Cecil singing in the background. Now all of them can sing, especially mm-hmm. Teddy. And Cecil was pretty good too. He sounded a lot like Bobby. But mm-hmm. but together they sounded a mess. <laughs> it's just that their, vo- <laughs> their voices didn't blend at all. And so I said to him, I said, Look, we need to scratch this background. It's not working. And I said, Call those futures, get the futures in here. <laughs> <laughs> and get them wow. to do that background. I totally forgot about that part. But Dexter remembered that. And he said that, yeah, she was right. He said I was right about the background. And the futures came in and kicked it out. I mm-hmm. mean, that background is fabulous. So what I wanted mm-hmm. to say about Teddy, uh, working with Teddy, what Teddy did, uh, I was really touched by what he did. Because when he, Teddy, as you know, had a huge fan base. And he had a tendency to travel with a crowd. Mm-hmm. So when he came, when he reported to the recording session, the vocal section, session, I met him at the, in the lobby. And he was alone. And I looked at him and I said, Ted, where are you going? <laughs> so, you're so dressed up. He had on this beautiful chocolate brown two-piece suit mm-hmm. with matching shoes, and he had one of those Louis Vuitton clutch things where he had all his his personals. I said, where are you going? He <laughs> said, I said, you must have a hot date when you leave here. And he said, no. He said, I came to work. Wow. And that just really struck me because that told me that he considered what he does just as important as say a nine to five or a, yeah. or a business yeah. job, you know, behind wow. the desk making yeah. large decisions, you know. He said, I came to work. And I said, all mm. right. And I said, well, you sure look nice. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we went in that studio and then like halfway through that vocal, that jacket came off. Then that wow. white shirt came off. <laughs> and then that... Wow. He was down to a chocolate brown sleeveless t-shirt because he was sweating profusely. And he yeah. only Yeah, and he only did it in you know, he basically did the vocal in maybe one take. We might have gone over a couple other things, but uh Teddy sings with so much emotion that even when he's a little off key, uh, mm-hmm. we wouldn't mess with it if it took away the emotion because to right. us that that feeling was really really important and he was really getting into the song so but i i'll never forget that session because i appreciated the fact that he didn't come with an audience because then it would have been hard to to really work with him one-on-one because it would be like he was performing you know for his friends and you you have said so many nuggets I'm sorry I don't want to interrupt but I'm like oh my god I'm trying to write all my notes as you're talking and I'm like ah she said so (laughs) many good things what you just said and I want the listener we just push a pause a minute how you just said singing with the emotion 
And then yes. by having the entourage or having other people, you start feeling like you have to perform yes. as opposed to really getting into whatever the lyric mm-hmm. is demanding for you emotionally. Right. And exactly. I just want listeners to, yes, to hear, you know, my singers particularly and producers working with singers mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. appreciate when you go in this, you see how serious Teddy took this, you know, I mean, right. if he's dressing like that, I mean, this is a whole mindset right. um, going into the studio. And right. I just, I just really want people, cause nowadays I think there's, there is a very different culture with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and how important that is, you know, and that it's not always about the perfect pitch, like you just said. Right. It's about, it's, not. it's about, yeah. And, and the thing is, when you're singing a song for the first time in the studio, you know, this is, you're still getting to know the song. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like you're, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's not like you've performed this on the stage thousands of times that you eventually, mm-hmm. you know, but this is our first time really getting acquainted with it. So it, it exactly. is a, it's a special, it's a special space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And usually what we do is even before we, when the singer walks in the studio, we don't start recording right away. We run the track down a couple of times mm-hmm. and first, first to get the singer to warm up um, mm-hmm. and then to uh, address any concerns that the singer might have about melody or, you know, how lyrics uh, fall, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why he had time to work up a sweat because we didn't push the record <laughs> but until he was well warmed up and that he had a clear uh, basic understanding of how he wanted to deliver that song because it Mm. it was up to him to make it his song and he did sure did (laughs) oh my god i mean this is crazy (laughs) this is crazy to hear this because i just i mean i just you know growing up with this music and you know just having such a I mean, you know, Teddy, come on. Teddy Pendergrass? Are you kidding me? Even when I was little, I knew like, oh, Teddy's sexy. And I didn't even know what sexy meant. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just like Teddy, Teddy is just, I mean, he's like to me, you know, I mean, I don't know. He's he's a pinnacle. And so to hear you describe this, it's just, mm-hmm. oh, my mm-hmm. God. She's gushing really over there. She's, and there's just she's a trying to, to contain gushing. herself. <laughs> I'm gushing. Yeah. I am. I am. But anyway. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a great session, and it's one of the ones I always remember. We also did another song with Teddy on that album. It was a duet with Stephanie Mills. What a sweetheart mm. she is to mm. work mm. with! And uh, it was mm. a temple tune called "Take Me in Your Arms Tonight." And I remember before the session with her, there was a, a delicatessen across the street, and we decided Stephanie and I decided to go across the street to get some tea. She needed some, some tea. And let me tell you, we got halfway across the street and she was stopping traffic. People recognized her and knew who she was yeah. and, and they yeah. were calling her name. And I said, look, Stephanie, please go back in the studio. I'll get yeah. the tea. Because if somebody grabs you, I don't know if I can help you. Because <laughs> that's how much attention she was getting. It was making me nervous because I was like, but suppose somebody comes and tries to grab her, you know, because she, right. yeah. she was literally stopping yeah. traffic. So she went back in the building and I went on and got the tea. Nobody wants me. Well, I wasn't a star she was, but I was more concerned about her safety. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny, but she was a darling to work with. She and Teddy worked so mm. well, and I liked the way they played off each other. 
on that song. Mm-hmm. So my experience with Teddy and Stephanie is definitely one for the memoirs. <laughs> wow. Wow, awesome. wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Do you feel, I'm sorry, Will, did you, you I was going to ask, gonna, I I gonna ask question. your question, but you go, you can go ahead and ask it. <laughs> okay. No, no. You know what my question is, Will? You can read my brain. You can read my mind. No, yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask um, if it's a preference, you know, like where do you, songwriting versus producer, is there a preference? And if so, why? Or is preference for i'm sorry for being more in the role for being more in the role as a producer or in the role as a songwriter i like them both and i continue to do both Mm -hmm. Uh, but i'm probably more established as a songwriter because Mm -hmm. i didn't really get many opportunities to produce at philly international because uh, it was mostly the guys and like i said the only only times I got to co-produce was when Dexter was kind enough to say, okay, I'll let you co-produce this with me or he'll let me pick a song. But, mm-hmm. you know, even then I was limited, but I was just so thankful and appreciative of the opportunity that I did get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what what would you say uh, the role of a producer is, just for those people who don't know? Okay, the producer basically is responsible for the end product and everything that goes in into it. Um, you pick the songs, you pick uh, your co-producers, you pick your background singers, you assign an arranger if the track requires sweetening in any way. Uh, you're responsible for the mix and the overall sound of the recording once it's done. And you work very closely with your engineer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Good. so That's pretty much it. <laughs> right, it, it's like the overseer, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, and when you see, so when you see the executive producer, the executive producer is usually the financier behind the project. They're not right. necessarily, they don't necessarily have an on on hands uh, uh, relationship to the project. They just oversee the uh, finances of it too, because you know back then. We were using studio and tape, you know, uh, full full equipped, stu- fully equipped studios that use tape. We recorded on on tape, <laughs> and um, now it's everything is digital. But it costs so much an hour to rent a room in a studio, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was expensive. And the engineers had to be paid. You know, there were mixers, special mixers that were brought in for projects. They had to be paid. So you know a, a, a production budgets were in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't really have to do that now because everything is digitized. But they call it analog. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah, exactly. Back in the day, it was analog. Right. Yeah, it was analog. Now everything everything is digital. On Ampex yeah. tape. <laughs> Ampex tape. Yep. So yeah. well, did I answer all your questions? Because you had uh, <laughs> that, uh, you that had things it. attached to it. Uh, okay, good. I just wanted I just people wanted to, to get a sure. scope of what it was that you were doing and uh, and understand. Just because people who are sort of new to the industry, they don't know what these what the roles are. They have an idea, and so they sort of flash around mm-hmm. names, and they don't even know what the what the job is job entails. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I just wanted people to have some clarity on yeah. that. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, it, it is really, it's really important for people, you know, from the songwriter all the way then, like what you, you know, then going to the producer, then, you know, then how that relationship ties into the artist. And a lot of times people, I think, you know, also have to recognize, you know, Teddy didn't necessarily write that song, um, mm-hmm. but had to interpret that song and make it his. And right. I, I think that in mm-hmm. itself is another art form is, you know, mm-hmm. being able to sing a song that's kind of being presented to you and still give it yourself as opposed right. to just singing, like, at a wedding. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a right. difference. And I, I think artists have to recognize that, you know, if you are a... Because I get a lot of artists who will say, you know, well, I'm gigging here, I'm gigging there, I'm gigging there. And then they struggle when it's time to do their own projects. Um, mm-hmm. And because there's a different mindset that has to happen, and it's a whole different kind of art, you know, to doing that. Right. And even when you talked about Patti LaBelle not really feeling, um, you know, the song that you had, you know, had written, um, right? And she still, though, I mean, you would know, you wouldn't know that. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, she still right. had to make the song, right? Was, yeah, yeah. See, when she went in, uh, we knew she didn't like the song from the outset. Because and the song of her is if only reaction. you. Yeah, if, if only, only you knew. Yeah, I just want to make people, <laughs> in case people didn't hear episode mm-hmm. 109. But yeah, go ahead. Right. And so, but when we got her in the studio, like you said, uh, you would never know she did not like the song. Mm-hmm. Because when she sang it, she put everything into it. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of professionalism that we, we had the benefit of in working with these great artists you know, under Philadelphia International. Teddy was so professional the night we did the vocal to Love to KM. And uh, the same with Patty when she did it for the unique. Even the Jones girls, they are they were fun to work with in the studio because they were such consummate musicians, you know, mm. and the background harmonies, a lot of the um, ideas were theirs. You know, they would rehearse in the hotel and come to the studio mm-hmm. and we run the track down and they would make recommendations. So we had this idea. We thought this background part might be nice here and they would sing it and we would say, great. Uh, or we would say that would be good, but we can use it at the tag yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what, that's part of what a producer does. You know, they have to make judgments and decisions like that. Uh, and it was funny because the Jones girls had a, they would come with a cup that they would put on the music stand. <laughs> and, and if anybody was out or sang their own note, they had to put a nipple in the cup. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's and, cool. I, and I'm not going to tell you who, who put the most nipples in there. <laughs> but I, I would laugh. I would laugh. And the interesting thing was uh, Valerie of the Jones Girls, the youngest one, she had near-perfect pitch. Mm. She could tell. She mm. could tell right away when somebody was out. She would say, oh, Brenda, you're flat. Mm. Well, Shirley, you're sharp. Mm. You know, and, and they would correct it, you know. Mm-hmm. She was really a, a prize to have among them. But, yeah, all the artists that we work with, uh, Jerry mm-hmm. Butler, uh, Billy Parsi, I'm going way back uh, <laughs> with some of, the, some of the artists that we work with. And they, they were really, really just great. So we were fortunate in that respect. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I want you to talk about um, some of these these awesome songs that you've written. And uh, with the, the business side, uh, what is it that uh, you um, do 
So sort of what's your process to basically, and I'm sure uh, Philly International took care of a lot of stuff, but of course there's stuff that you have to do on your end to make sure that you get credited and, and compensated for, for the music that you wrote and and also to touch on some of the challenges challenges that even today that you're 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 facing in that regard. All right, very good question. Uh, when I was signed with Mighty Three under Philadelphia International Records, Mighty Three knew that we just basically wrote the songs. I would of course uh, file or register, I should say, my songs with BMI, which is a performance rights organization. Mm-hmm. Every time you write a song, you should submit it to your PRO yep. for registration because they will assign it an IPI number, which is a number that identifies the right holders, uh, the right holders of the song. And um, so if anybody's looking for that song, they can go into the BMI database or the ASCAP database or whatever PR, PRR, PRO you belong to. And they can get all the information that they need about the song, you know, because some people are looking to license it for use, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I would always uh, take care of that for everything that I wrote and things that I wrote. That's with my writing partner at the time. And um, then Philly International will create a, um, a Mighty Three will create what they call the basic songwriters contract, excuse me, which is the grant. And it has the it has it's an agreement, and it has everything on there about the song, the percentage breakdowns, uh, etc. And they file that, uh, so you don't have to do that. And they also have the responsibility of copywriting mm-hmm. that song on your behalf, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now I always took care of, of the PIRO registrations, and. I let PIR, Mighty Three Music, do our copyrights. Mm. But once the contract ended with uh, Mighty Three, I copyrighted everything myself. Mm -hmm. And I say that because that is very, very important. If you write a song and somebody else ends up uh, recording it and claiming it as theirs, I don't even think you can go into a court of law to... uh, to sue them if you don't have a copyright registered in the copyright office, okay? So that's very, very important. That's part of your protection is to copyright those songs. And about, uh, I'd say, back around 2010, 2011, uh, it was floating around on the internet that there was a period, certain we were coming upon a certain period when any songs that you wrote uh, from 1978 up, you know, going up, you could reclaim any rights that might have been taken from you for those works, okay? I don't even remember how I stumbled across the information, but believe me, I stumbled across it. And when I thought of it, I, when I saw it, I thought of all the songs that I had written under Mighty Three where the publisher was taken from me before I even knew what publishing was. Mm. Um, and so this was an opportunity for me to get those songs back. And I was able to hire someone out of New York. I, I happened to see a letter that she wrote on behalf of some other writers that she was representing. 
somehow it was posted on the internet. And that's how I got in touch with her. And I, I mean, I paid thousands of dollars to get her to uh, write those termination notices for us. And then all of a sudden I noticed something wrong. And it seemed to seem like the uh, notices, our efforts were being thwarted in some way. Mm. So I decided to end that relationship. And what I did was just study what she did and emulated what she did. And I was able to get the registrations through for the rest of the catalog. And when I was talking to other songwriters from my camp at Mighty 3 PIR, uh, a lot of them didn't even file their own VMI registrations. Wow. And I was and I was like, wow, how, why would you not do that? That's for your own uh, security, yep. you know, and you can't really, shouldn't really delegate everything nope. to, for someone else to do. You know, some things it's just better for you to do yourself, just for your own peace of mind, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so I was really surprised. And then I found out that I was one of the only few people who had all, or mostly all, of those songwriter agreements. And when, in order for you to get your rights back, you, you need to have that grant. And some of them went through without the grant, but for the most part, you should have them. And these are the things that I was doing while I was a writer at Mighty Three, you know, saving things, you know, keeping a file of things. And I ended up making copies for people who wrote songs with me who didn't have their their uh, songwriter contracts, and I did. So, you know, I, I wanted them to have them. I mean, it's part of their record. They should have them. And Mighty Three did give us copies. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't say that they never got a copy because they gave us copies of everything. You just have to put them away and store them for safekeeping. And then when Mighty Three sold that whole catalog in 1990, uh, a lot of people were just lost because they didn't have their song, mm. songwriter contracts. So I was able to get my share of the rights. Like, for instance, if Only You Knew has three writers on it, so I have a one-third interest. And I was able to get that, my one-third interest back as of uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. And you had a deadline because you have to give them whoever's holding the rights to that work. You have to give them a two two year window, okay? A notice, you know, to let them know two years ahead of time that you're reclaiming those rights. Uh, so, yeah, and I think I squeezed one in at the very last second because we wrote a song called "Deep Inside of Me" by the Future Stair Group out of Philly, and um, that contract was dated, I think it was 2011, okay, no, it was scheduled to, I, it was scheduled to terminate 2013, so I had to, I think I overnighted the termination notice, uh, because I was exactly two years away from the terminating if I wanted the rights back, so that was 2011 when I sent it off. So that was the first uh, song where I recaptured the rights because that happened in 2013. And then in 2014, it was The Sweetest Pain. I finally got that back. And then Hurry Up This Way Again followed. Uh, and it's just, you know, because Patty's song was not released until 1983, uh, the termination date would not be until 2018 because I think it's uh, five years or something from the date of creation or the date of publication, which 
I think that's how that worked. But I was happy that uh, just by chance, uh, I think it was by the grace of God that I stumbled across that information and I was able to you know, get those rights back. So what I do now is I do uh, I get more produ- producing uh, action going because I produce a lot of my uh, songs that I write now. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate to have access to great, great singers who didn't mind doing demos for me, like uh, Sharon Bryant from Atlanta Star. What a yeah, voice well, she I has. I love me some Sharon Bryant. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I, think she, I think she's right there with Aretha as far as a natural resource, you know, because mm-hmm. her voice is incredible. And she can do so many things with it. I mean, she can portray different character voices uh, with her voice. I I loved working with her. She didn't didn't mind doing demos with me and uh, Shirley Jones from the Jones Girls. So I actually had really professional singers working with me. And I would really strongly recommend that anybody that's, that's looking to do this, you know, is to build a network of great singers that, you know, will, mm-hmm. will sing and do your demos for you. Because you know what's happening now? A lot of those demos are so good compared mm-hmm. to, you know, I compared them to what's out now. And I said, these demos sound just as good as uh, things that we hear on the radio <laughs> and, and, and whatever yeah. now. And I'm putting those songs out now just like they are. And um, yeah. Because they don't really sound like demos. They sound like finished product. And then when you got professional singers like Sharon and, and uh, Shirley, then uh, I'm trying to think of some other singers. I have a lot of local singers who are in the gospel field. You go, to your, go to your church and get your singers get yeah. singers out of your choir, you know, to sing, yeah. sing your demos for you. You'd be surprised how great that, that will come out. But Philly is just loaded with a lot of unsung uh uh, mm-hmm. singers that really deserve to be uh, recognized because they are such great mm-hmm. talents. So I did have mm-hmm. that. I don't put a lot out on Sharon. Uh, mm-hmm. Just out of respect for her as an artist, uh, if mm-hmm. I don't have her permission up front, you know, to, to right. do that. Um, I tried that once before uh, with the overseas project and it, it didn't go well, not because of Sharon, mm-hmm. But because um, the uh, record company didn't do anything that they were supposed to do, so uh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, make that mistake again. But usually, the things that I do with Shirley, she knows that uh, there's a chance that I could put it out as is, and I pay my singers well too, mm-hmm. uh, especially the, the ones that uh, uh, you know. The, there's an upper echelon of singers only because they have a track record. Right. <laughs> That's right, what makes them right. upper echelon because they have a track record and they're noted. And some of them are world uh, have world of, of uh, acclaim. So mm-hmm. uh, usually when I when that happens, you know, first of all I pay them well. Like I'll fly Shirley up from where she is, uh, and she'll mm-hmm. come and stay with me a couple of days in the studio. It's great. It's great. Great. Great mm-hmm. fun. But um, these are some of the things that I do that I wanted to share. Number one, always copyright. Always copyright mm-hmm. your work. And uh, don't be afraid to step out. And if you can't get anybody to cover your song or to do the song uh, for you, 
There are many, many independent uh, opportunities out there now. I, I recently joined an online distributor uh, and I upload my work, the lyrics, cover art, which a lot of it I do anyway. It saves me money, you know, mm -hmm. when I can do the cover art myself. And and I submit it. And the online stores, believe it or not, they have certain procedures that you have to follow before they will even accept yourselves. So if your uh, demo quality is not good or your song quality is not good, you'll, you'll get a reject on that. And they give you opportunities to adjust and make adjustments. So that's not a problem. Uh, if the cover art is uh, problematic, you know, they'll ask you to make that correction. And if you don't list the lyrics a certain way, they ask you to correct that. But once, look, once they accept the song, I just bought one of my songs on Amazon the other day. Awesome. That I didn't even know it was on Amazon, <laughs> but that online distributor would do that for you. So there are a lot of things you can do to help yourself just right. to get you out there. And then it's this place, this uh, online radio station, iHeartRadio. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's, yeah, that's an opportunity for people to hear your songs because they'll play your songs. And I think they're also available for download on, on iHeartRadio. And there are also music libraries that will accept songs that they will shop, you know, for placement in movies and film. Yeah, so we're 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 gonna the, get um, get uh, get some co coverage on on a lot of those topics, you know, in our upcoming episodes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we uh, this this has been yeah this has been awesome. I know our time is like <laughs> about about to get cut, so that's that's why I'm, I'm jumping in. I don't I I wanted to to basically. Uh, give a couple things for, for folks to understand. Uh, Mighty Three Music is mm -hmm. the publishing company, correct? Yes. What's the, yes, that's the, the publishing company of oh, Philadelphia For Philadelphia International Records. Yeah, I want people to get that. And, and when she says PIR, that's Philadelphia International Records for those who aren't hip. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. we, this, this has been awesome. Uh, I, we 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 probably yeah. could go for number three. We need to just do. We need to just do a conference. We need right, to do right. like a special. We want to do some live events, but anyway, before our clock runs out, I've got to just say again a really massive mm -hmm. thank you, Cynthia. Like there was just so much that you just shared in the business side of this, which is why we primarily do this podcast. My it's pleasure. really mm -hmm. to, for people to understand, even you at the high level, you know. Of, of professionalism you're at is still those challenges and the things you have to do yes, you know to make sure it absolutely. works and so um just really important you guys uh we'll we'll have to do like a debrief episode will because right. <laughs> i wrote down a bunch of notes so that i could like be able to kind of walk people through because you you said uh, so many things that people as independent artists today have to do mm -hmm. if they want their stuff to so, get paid so right oh yeah yeah um, all right well yeah. Uh, you, thank we got, you. Yeah. We wrap it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again. Thank you Cynthia. for the opportunity. Appreciate this it. is a great platform, and I encourage you to please keep it going. You know, oh, so much to be learned. Definitely. Yes, I wish you all the best with this. This is great. Awesome. Thank great. you. Thank all right. You. We'll talk to y'all next week. See you later. Okay. We'll be back next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you would like to join our new artist development program, the 3MB Club, please contact us via email at 3mbpodcast at gmail.com. 
Please subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player and leave us a rating and review. Also, please leave us a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. And if you would like to contact us about a specific topic, you can email us at 3mbpodcast at gmail.com.